Welcome to Queer Immaterial, episode three of Lesser Known Icons on Gladys Bentley. Like a great number of lost souls, I inhabited that half-shadow no-man's land which exists between the boundaries of the two sexes. So begins an autobiographical essay in Ebony Magazine from the early 1950s by Gladys Bentley. Gladys, later occasionally using a stage name of Barbara Bobby Minton, was a defining Harlem Renaissance groundbreaker for her voice, her piano playing, her passion, her sexuality, and her gender. Gladys was, and has since become even more so, both a queer and rather complicated icon. After moving to New York from Philadelphia as a teenager in the early 1920s, Gladys recorded some blues tracks and took to the Harlem Supper Clubs, becoming the first black singer at a number of clubs throughout New York City during the heyday of Prohibition. She quickly moved up through the city in fame, eventually residing at a Park Avenue palace, performing between fancy parties with her friends like the mayor, some of the royal family, and J.P. Morgan, and other small queer venues in Harlem that were where she got her start and where she continued to entertain, often through the entire night. She later moved to Los Angeles and appeared in some West Coast gay, drag, and queer acts and bars. In his 1960s autobiography, her good friend Langston Hughes recalled in his capturing of that earlier Harlem moment, Some of the small clubs, however, had people like Gladys Bentley, who was something worth discovering in those days before she got famous, acquired an accompanist, specifically written material, and conscious vulgarity. For two or three amazing years, Miss Bentley sat, played a big piano all night long, literally all night, without stopping. Miss Bentley was an amazing exhibition of musical energy, a large, dark, masculine lady whose feet pounded the floor while her fingers pounded the keyboard, a perfect piece of African sculpture animated by her own rhythm. Gladys was quite regularly seen in New York gossip columns, frequently written for better and for worse by celebrity writers and even making appearances in contemporary novels of the time. She was a queer icon of the day with journalists, including later in a 2019 New York Times obituary written posthumously to make up for the fact that an original never appeared, claiming that she told reporters at the time that she married a woman, that her partner, who she openly lived in a relationship with in New Jersey, became her wife in the 1930s. She continued in that autobiographical writing for Ebony that throughout the world there are thousands of us furtive humans who have created for ourselves a fantasy as old as civilization itself, a fantasy which enables us, if only temporarily, to turn our backs on the hard realism of life. Our number is legion and our heartbreak inconceivable. Some of us wear the symbols and badges of our nonconformity. Others, seeking to avoid the censure of society, hide behind respectable fronts, always haunted by the fear of exposure and ostracism. Back in the 1920s and 1930s, she was openly being who she was, 
One writer, Wilbur Young, said she could be seen any day marching down 7th Avenue attired in men's clothes. She seemed to thrive on the fact that her odd habits were the subject of much tongue-wagging. And while the club scene may have been more accepting, some columnists were less so, though you can hear them talking out of both sides of their mouths in their words, at once venerating and also condemning her. In a 1934 New York Age column, one writer says, Some persons have disagreed with my recent criticism of Gladys Bentley. They gave first-class portrayals of sex perversion as their form of entertainment. Theirs was no play-acting, but the real thing. Be that as it may, the effect on me was a feeling akin to that of seeing some hideous, deformed cripple and a case for an expert alienist only. Persons who can find humorous entertainment in such things I must regretfully place in the category of morons and moral imbeciles. Meanwhile, that year, in an advertisement for a Harlem Opera House run, described La Bentley, and in parentheses put, or is it? And a 1935 review of a show at the Ubangi Club described Gladys Bentley and her pansy entertainment. Another review describes how Miss Bentley, whom many mistake for a man, delivers her prize number about nothing now perplexes like the sexes because when you see them switch, you can't tell which is which, quoting a lyric of hers. And yet another 1944 review Gladys Bentley, who goes way back to the bathtub gin era, works in a male get-up top hat and pants. Considering the canary size, she's about 300 pounds, costume makes her look grotesque. Follows with her customary blue materials, there is little to be said. Crowd liked it even though stuff is so blue that the four-letter words are avoided by just a hair. And then something changed in the 1950s. Continuing in the Ebony piece, which until now has felt like, read like, almost a sermon by and for queer people oppressed in the world. And then Gladys takes a turn. I no longer have to search for the reasons to find why I became what I was. Today I am a woman again and no longer have to rationalize that I was both that way. She goes on to declare that different people are made and not born, as she recounts that her mother wanted a boy, and she always seemed different, not wanting men near her and hating them generally, before eventually dressing like them. Extreme social maladjustment, as she says, was to blame, and she was a victim of her own sins. When meeting her eventual first husband, and realizing that she wanted to marry him, she thought, suppose I were to get married and my old habits were impossible to suppress. Eventually I would lose him. And then a doctor told her that her sex organs were infantile, apparently still those of a 14-year-old child, and which led to her taking medication for conversion. Reports later claimed that she was married three times to three different men during this era, most articles at this point also referred to her as a one-time male impersonator. She shared that she was writing a book about how she became a woman again, in part from the injection of female sex hormones three times weekly, calling her experiences the twilight zone of sex, and the book would be titled If This Be Sin. Jet Magazine reported that Gladys was so thrilled at her change from third sex to true female, 
that she promptly bared the story of her life. After the ebony piece, one reader wrote and was printed in a following issue, Thank you, Gladys Bentley, for at least telling the world that we hate ourselves too. Too bad you did not mention your doctor's name and his price, for I too want to leave it. I have had too much of it. The price is too severe and I am unable to pay it. The fact is I do not care for any more of this miserable hell. And another reader said, I was once like her. Now I am a happily married woman and a devoted mother, and went on to thank prayer for that. And another reader who identified as a male homosexual just wanted to be left alone because he was masculine acting, and he was not a monster and not a menace, and he hopes to be left alone until the point that he can find a remedy, as did Miss Bentley. And back to Langston Hughes's 1962 autobiography, written two years after Gladys died, never finishing her own autobiography that anyone knows, or the pastoral schooling that she was in at the end of her life. And he says of those in Harlem in the 1920s, they thought the race problem had at last been solved through art plus Gladys Bentley. Gladys Bentley might, in her own queer way, present more problems than she solves, but there was a part of her life lived out loud, and her voice, both literal and figurative, can inspire. And this complexity is part of the nature of her queerness. Thank you for listening to Queer and Material, part of Electric Pansy Podcast Network. You can learn more at electricpansy.com and on social media as Queer and Material. Our first season of six episodes, which this is the third of lesser-known icons, um, will debut the fourth in two weeks with another lesser-known queer icon. Share your thoughts, comments, suggestions on Twitter, and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.